Today's episode is going to be a change-up. I'm talking track and field. Track and field is one of what I call the big three training sports. I consider swimming, wrestling, and track to be the toughest sports for training. The reason being is the amount of time spent practicing compared to the amount of time spent competing. Now, overall, Paramaridian High School is a nice suburban high school. The kids are good. The parents are very supportive. And the talent has always been pretty much average. However, I've made it known that there are 10 things that are required if you have zero talent that can make you pretty competitive, especially with Marion County athletes. Number one, be on time. I hate people that are not on time. That shows that you are dedicated. Number two, have a work ethic. Be willing to work hard. Do your job. Do the best you can. Number three, your effort that you put forward, whether it's on the football field, whether it's on the track, your effort means a lot of how successful the day's practices will be and also will mean how successful you will be in competition. Body language. I can always tell when someone is half-ass going through a workout. I can always tell when someone doesn't want to be there. They're not going to give me their full effort. Uh, number five, uh, energy. Show energy. You know, if you're out there, do the best you can. Six, attitude. Okay, attitude is everything. That's been around forever. Okay, if you're going to compete, you have to have a positive attitude, especially in track and field. Okay, passion. If you show passion for your art, passion for your sport, passion towards your teammates, that's going to help in making the team more successful. Number uh, eight, you got to be coachable. Your parents can't coach you from track and field. All right. I or the assistant coaches will know what's best for you, and we will try to get the best out of you in order to for the team to succeed. We may put you in a different position. We may put you in a different race. Okay. The idea is being coachable. Okay. I've, I've had people whose parents were NFL athletes. And whatever I say in uh, coaching the long jump, they would go home and listen to parents. And then they would go back, come back and do it wrong. So you got to be coachable. Do extra work. Doing the extra thing also helps in um, competing and getting better. Nothing going to take place on a specific time frame. You have to put in the time to do extra work in order to succeed. And the last thing, number 10, is that you got to be prepared. You got to be prepared. You got to come ready to compete in every meet. You got to be ready to compete on against every offense or against every defense. Preparation is really, really big. Now, our first principle at Paramaridian. His name is Mr. Head. Mr. Head was 
a guy that was pretty consistent. If he didn't like it, it wasn't going to happen. You couldn't change his mind. Mr. Head always said, Perry Meridian High School will not become a school of athletes. We're academics first, we're academics last, period. And if you mention another school that was pretty successful in athletics, he would blow a gasket. He would really get upset. Now, with that being said, in 1994, I, I was hired as an assistant coach at Perry Meridian High School. Mr. Head gave me the interview, and you know I said all the right things. And um, once I became uh, an assistant, it took me probably a year to get to know the kids and to get to know the program. The head track coach at the time of, of the boys, and at that time you had a head track coach of the boys and head track coach of the girls. The boys head track coach was Jim Kaler. And Kaler was a good coach. He was able to get kids out. Um, I like Jim for that. He gave me the opportunity and I appreciate it. Um, there were some things that I didn't quite go along with, didn't, didn't get along with, but you know, he was a head coach. I was assistant. I was going to do my job. At the end of the 1994 season, um, Coach Kaler uh, resigned. And so the head boys track coaching job came open. Well, the other assistant coaches didn't want the head coaching job, or at least they didn't want the head coaching headaches that went along with the job. So I stepped up and was hired as the boys' new track and field coach at the end of the 1994 season. Little did I know it was going to be a 22-year gig of being the boys' head coach for 15 years and the girls' head coach for seven years. Some gig it was. I enjoyed every minute of it. In uh, 1995, I took over the boys' track team. That was my first season. And my first priority was to change the mindset of the track and field team. My assistants were Kelly Clore, who was once the head football coach and coach track and field. He was responsible for the hurdlers, the 100, 300 hurdlers. He took the long jumpers and he took the 4x4 relay team or the 1600 meter relay team. Gary Raker was the um, distance coach. And at the time, I had several coaches over the years to uh, be my throws coach, uh, including Absalom Bryant, uh, Joe Schott, just to mention the two. I hired Dave Thornton to help me with the sprinters, uh, which consisted of the 100, 200, 400 sprinters, uh, the four by one, and I was also responsible for the high jump, and the pole vault. I had no idea uh, about how to coach the pole vault. Uh, my first couple years, the pole vaulters, they coached themselves until I got into clinics and then learned the pole vault. I was able to help them a little bit. Uh, Dave Thornton 
was also uh, my stats man. He was a recorder. Uh, I believe that every runner, and every thrower uh, would get measured or get their splits because it was very important for us to set goals. You don't get better unless you set and exceed your goals. The next thing I had to do was to change as a coach from a football mentality to a track mentality. Football and track and field are opposite ends of the spectrum. There's totally different in the mindset that you have to take when coaching track and field. Your intensity level drops probably 95% from that of football. Getting into the face of athletes on the track team and or screaming at track runners, it doesn't work because every track athlete can see their performance. You don't have to tell them. You can give them hints at the end of meets and so on. You can help along the way, but they know what they did. Track athletes cannot hide. On the football field, out of 22 people out there, you can hide. On the basketball court, you can hide amongst five people. If, if, if you make a mistake, they're not going to see that. On the soccer field, yeah, you can hide. But in track and field, everybody is watching you perform if they're on the field, uh, throwing a shot or discus or pole vault, or looking at the track. Track athletes, in my opinion, have to be convinced that they're fearless. Even when they know that they're going to be competing against superior athletes, it was my job to convince them that their biggest competitor is the stopwatch and the tape measure because there's always going to be someone faster than they are. Track and field is an individual sport. However, it does have team consequences. I used to remind the kids that every point counts towards an eventual victory. In the state of Indiana, there are 16 events. There's 16 standards for each of those events. Okay, It's kind of weird that Indiana doesn't have the triple jump because I grew up with the triple jump in Kentucky. I competed in a triple jump. Uh, it's a great event. I love it, but they don't have it. So uh, whenever there's any special events or anything uh, that went on uh, that I can teach the triple jump, I always taught my kids how to triple jump just because it was fun. It was something else to do. You know, it's hard to get kids out because they go, oh, Mr. Johnson, Coach Johnson, all you do is go around the track. All you do is run around the track. And it's difficult. Practices aren't, aren't easy. You know, uh, when you're coaching an individual sport, the daily uh, workouts are so important. Sometimes you have to tailor each workout to each individual. On the other hand, uh, when it comes to track meets, it's different. Coaches can go up in the stands, sit and watch everything that go on and doesn't have to say a word to any athlete because First call is going to be called. The second call is going to be called. The final call is going to be called. Everybody knows when to show up and when to do what they're supposed to do. So you really don't have to do a lot of coaching uh, once the meet starts. 
I don't know of any coaches that do that, but it's a possibility that you can just go up in the stands and, you know, have a hot dog and popcorn and not ever coach anybody until the end of the meeting. You find out what the score is. Yeah, that's just not built in my DNA. I, 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 I am a hands-on person, and I believe in getting out there and helping each athlete out. I found out through my coaching years that I've always had several major issues that I had to deal with in addressing my track program. For me, each year, I'd have to get these kids to do something that they didn't think they could do. My first year, I had to deal with the kids practicing on Fridays. You know, under Coach Kaler, I mean, you know, Fridays, they just assume that they're going to, hey, I'm gone. You know, uh, the other thing that I had to eliminate as uh, the new head coach, or there's something that I call celebration paralysis, which basically means that if I'm having a birthday today, I can't practice, can't go to a meet. I can't do anything because it's my birthday. Or there's a, a dance going on tonight, I can't, can't practice because uh, that's more important. Um, my aunties uh, get married on, on Friday. I got to go to a wedding. Uh, all those excuses, you know, I had to get rid of that. You know, there, there was one kid my first year who was a sprinter, was probably one of my better sprinters. Wasn't that talented, but he, I said, we're having practice on Friday, and he decided that, Coach, I'm, I'm going home. I said, uh, I'll just say, John, John, man, this practice is going to be short. It's going to be over with relatively quick. We're going to warm up. We're going to get our, we're going to get our steps in. We're going to work on sprint technique. He goes, Coach Jay, I, I, I just, I just got to go. It's Friday. I, I, I it's, it's Friday. So he left. And he never came back to the program. And he was one of my better athletes. But celebration paralysis said that, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. You know, I can't be practicing on, on Fridays. Next thing I had to do is I had to recruit track athletes. Track is no fun. It is not a fun sport. You know, you, you have fun by winning in track and field. You have fun by competing. In order to uh, do that, in order to recruit as a coach, I had to spend extra time. I had to go to nearly every middle school meet that I could go to so that I can contact the kids that I knew that was coming across the, uh, the street. I knew that they should know my face because, you know, once they become eighth graders and become a ninth graders, you know, it's only a couple of hundred feet to go across the street and you're at Perry Meridian High School and you're not at the middle school anymore. So I made it a point to get over there and time and to say, hey, good job, you know, to encourage the kids when they're running so that they would know who I was and know that I was, you know, looking out for their, their interests, you know, because I wanted Perry Meridian track and field to get better. I had commercials on Falcon TV. I would have call-out meetings. Uh, I would put ads throughout the winters prior to the preseason. All of that was designed for me to get more kids out. And I can say that for the most part in my 22 years of being a track coach, 
I probably had no less than 45 kids out on the track team. And 45 would be the minimum that I would have out. There were times that I'd have 70 or, or 80 kids on, on the track team. And you need bodies. You need bodies on a track team because, you know, kids get hurt. If they don't train right, they get hurt. I, I had to institute a, an accountability system, attendance and accountability. You know, um, I took attendance every day in a study hall room, uh, in a large study hall room when I had a big, big um, team or in a classroom when my team wasn't so big. I had, towards the end of my career, I had a really big classroom, and I could get 50 or 60 kids in there. So I took attendance every day. Um, kids were had to be accountable. Uh, I gave the kids rules. The rules were simple. And for 20 of my 22 years as a, a coach, I only had seven rules. That's it. You know, I what's the old saying? Keep it simple, stupid. You know, you can't discipline everything. If you have a thousand rules, you have to put have discipline for when they break the rules. So I only had seven. Simple as that. OK. Um, for example, you know, there was one time I was having a meeting and um, for some reason there were uh, a few people that didn't want to listen to the meeting. They were having their own conversations. And one of these individuals was a former thrower, former football player, and a former throws coach for Perry Meridian for me. Well, he and his buddies decided that they weren't going to listen. So I said, okay, you don't want to listen to me now? At the end of this meeting, you go get dressed and meet me at the 100-meter mark finish line. And so there were about probably 13, 14 kids. Met them at the 100 meter line. Everybody else did practice. And this group, they did nothing but sit-ups and push-ups. They did about 25 each. They would get up. They would sprint to the start line of the 100 meters. They'd do 25 push-ups and sit-ups and they'd sprint back. They did that the entire practice. That was the last time I had that issue of somebody talking above me. Uh, another example is I had a distance runner who decided that he was going to skip practice and go fly kites. Well, <laughs> I, I heard about it, and the next day I had a kite in the study hall room for him to fly. The kite was kind of weirdly shaped. It was round. It weighed about 45 pounds. Some people call it a plate. But I tied a string through it as if it had a tail like a kite. And I made him lift that kite over his head and back down to his chest to try to get that kite off the ground until the end of the meeting. Yeah, it was a probably 15, 20 minute meeting. And uh, this distance runner uh, didn't fly any more kites because lifting that plate over his head and down to his chest for 15 minutes consistently nonstop, he learned his lesson. So those are type of things that you have to do in order to get, get kids' attention. My rules were simple, pretty simple. And as I mentioned earlier, I only had seven rules, okay? Number one, all team members must be at 
all practices during the regular season and meets unless excused by the trainer or doctor. Missed workouts will be made up and the workouts will be added to the workout that they did that day. Number two, lack of respect for fellow teammates, coaches, officials, opponents will not be tolerated, unsportsmanlike conduct, deliberate profanity, tardiness to practice, and failing to give maximum effort will not be allowed. Number three, uh, take care of our facilities and equipment. Thefts or deliberate destruction of equipment may lead to dismissal from the team. Number four, everyone rides on the bus to and from every meet, away meets. Uh, number five, preseason condition or the lack thereof will have an effect on your participating in meets. If you don't come to preseason conditioning, I'm not going to run you. I'll run your reserve. I'll put you in events that you don't like. But, hey, preseason condition is important. All the other schools in Marion County are, are doing that. Uh, number six, our coaches will be responsible for event assignments. Basically, it means that you will be assigned an event to run, whether it's the 100, the 200, or high jump, pole vault. You're going to be assigned that you don't get to choose. Okay? And if you're put in an event, you're expected to run the event. You can't step out and go, oh, I don't feel like running. Oh, no, that's, that's, that's out. That's done. <laughs> we don't do that. Number seven, look at the pipeline, which is the student handbook on what it takes to earn a letter. Letters aren't given away. You have to earn it. And if you earn it one year, you have to earn it the next year. Just because you earn it when you're a freshman, it doesn't mean that you automatically gonna get it when you're a sophomore. So you have to earn it each year. The last rule, number eight, is one that I added just a year or so before I retired. And that is, I had to deal with social media. And that rule states basically Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, Face, Facebook, whatever out there is social media. If you post something negative about your teammates, the school, or anything like that, there are going to be consequences and repercussions. Beyond that, I've got eight rules. Disciplinary action is pretty simple. First offense, you're going to run extra. Second offense, I'm going to contact your, your parents. Third offense, I'm going to let the AD know, and we're going to have a conversation about you being removed from the track team. That's simple. Those are the things that I did in order to build a foundation to become a successful track and field coach. The other thing that I, that I did and what I suggested all other coaches do is that you have to attend clinics. You know, uh, I would go to a clinic, learn about pole vaulting because I didn't know anything about pole vaulting. Okay. Uh, I had to make sure that I learned about hurdles. You know, I had to do that. There was no question. Hurdling had to be taught to me. I had to learn how to hurdle, and I had to get all the techniques I could to become a better, a better hurdle coach. And it really worked out well for me. I've had several hurdlers that's made it to the state meet, that's finished first, uh, that's finished second or third several sectional championships, boys and girls. So those are the things that you have to do. Issues that I had to confront over the years at Prairie Meridian High School. I had to learn how to practice in the hallways. We don't have a facility where you can go and run 
150 meters on a nice soft track. None of that happened. We had a hallway upstairs, and that's what I had to do. Okay. Uh, next, I, I would mark uh, the baseboards. Um, I had to mark the baseboards. Uh, upstairs is 100. And, no, I take that back. Upstairs is 120. Five meters halfway around. So it's 250 meters one lap. And I put marks all over the baseboards. I would put marks in the ceilings. I put marks on the top. I would do all those things in order to get a practice in. Uh, my hurdlers practice downstairs uh, outside of the cafeteria. Uh, I would have Coach Thornton would take part of the sprinters and I would go down and work with the hurdlers at least three days a week. And you have to be specific with hurdlers. Hurdlers is technique, 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 technique. And the other thing with hurdlers is that, you know, at the middle school, they just say, oh, just put you in the hurdles and go do that. No, hurdlers have to be fast. A hurdler has to be a sprinter. Uh, I trained all sprinters to be 400-meter runners. Uh, we practiced them. We trained them to be 400-meter runners. Now, they all didn't do that. You know, I moved some up to the 800 meters. I moved some down to the one and the two. Okay. Um, the next positive, most positive thing that I did uh, to help my program out is that I mandated sweats uh, to warm up in. And, and the reason happened in um, 96 or 97, uh, we were running pike uh, at home. And in a seven-minute time frame, um, I lost seven athletes with hamstring problems. Reason was it was a sunny day, but it was cool. It was about 46, 47 degrees. And the track runners, they thought it was warm just because the sun was out. Well, they came up lame. They pulled hamstrings. And so the very next day... I said, look, we're wearing hams, we're wearing uh, our sweats to warm up with. I don't care how hot it is, we're gonna wear sweats to warm up. Get those legs, get those muscles warm. Then once we get our warm-up, which I use a dynamic warm-up, once we get our warm-up in, you can take your sweats off. But until then, wear the sweats. It could be a hundred degrees and they still warmed up with sweats. And if they came out there without sweats on, go back in, get your sweats on, come back out here. And I mean, get right now. And if they didn't, you're done. Your, your training is over with for the day. Okay, so that helped out uh, a great deal. Now, after developing the sweat policy, I never lost another athlete to a pulled hamstring for the remainder of my coaching career. Uh, the next thing, as I mentioned earlier, is that I learned how to hurdle. Um, I was 39 years old. Coach Kelly Clore was going to retire in a couple years, and I knew that I was going to have to coach the hurdles. So he took me upstairs in the hallways in the winter, and he taught me how to how to hurdle. Everything that hurdlers did, I did. I was just 39 years old. And 
that was going to be a major thing that that helped me become a better coach. And it helped me become a better hurdler coach by doing the drills. Now, the older I got, when I got 50, you know, I couldn't do the drills as good. <laughs> when I got 60, I wasn't going to drills, period. Okay, so, you know, those, those are the things that got me going. Um, track and field is a great sport. I think it's well underrepresented. You never hear about track and field until the Olympics come around. Uh, it's not a sport where you, you have a captive audience like inside of a gym, like wrestling or basketball. It's not one of those major sports like football. You know, track and field is uh, a sport that is tough. You know, in the fall sports, you have, you know, maybe one or two, three games that's cool or cold. In track and field, your first five or six meets are cold. And maybe you'll have one or two or three meets that's warm. So they're totally opposite. So, you know, I love track and field. I love what went on at Prairie Meridian. I was successful in doing what I did but I was able to keep it simple. And if you can do that, you get the kids to buy in and get them to be successful, then it makes your track program uh, better. So with that being said, I'm going to end this podcast. I've probably bored you enough, but that was just the beginning on what I, what I did and how I became a track coach, which really, uh, I think helped the football program. Okay. Track and football, are like two peas in a pod. You can't have football without having speed and agility. Track and field, you have to have strength, you know. Uh, and in track and field, you run more than 40 meters. You know, if the ball's on the minus 20-yard line and someone's going to take it to the house for 80 yards, you know, in track and, I mean, in football, you only train for 40 meters. Well, in track and field, you run more than 40 meters, so you have to build in speed endurance. So that's my spiel. Uh, that's the end of episode one. It gives you, an, I hope it gives you an idea on um, what it took for me and how I became head track coach at Prairie Marine High School. Thank you very much, and I'll have another episode in track field down the road. Mm-hmm.